You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a proud part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. She fought for her life because life is worth living. Think about that. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast, and they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast, and your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2 and Friends. We are taking a look at the Crow Salvation a, uh, the third in the Crow Quadrilogy, uh, as of this recording. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergi. This is directed by Bharat Naluri, uh, written by Chip Johansson, uh, based on the comic book The Crow, James O'Barr, starring Kirsten Dunst, Eric Mabius, and Fred Ward, with music by Marco Beltrami. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergi. With me, I think I already said that, with me is Thrasher. Your kung fu is no match for my drunken tiger kick? <laughs> and Alex... Damn it, Bobby, he's a man prancing around in makeup. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this Crow series is so kind of freaky because like, each one is a standalone, which is pretty unusual in a, in a series of um, movies with sequels, right? It usually I, has some... Right, I like it, though. That's a strength of this series, but I do wish they took it farther. Yeah, it, it plays it awfully safe. As far as following the formula of a guy gets killed due to four other guys, and he's got to kill those four other guys. Yeah, it's weird that it's like it's the strength and the weakness is because like they could really do their own thing. They don't, like you said, they don't push it or explore on it, but they keep returning to the same themes. <laughs> it's kind of right. Dumb. I mean, this one yeah. it's it's loosely based on Poppy Z. Bright's uh, spinoff book, The Crow, The Lazarus Heart. Um, I didn't get a chance to read much of the book. One of the big differences in the book is it's uh, the main character is a is a male like in the movie, but he's gay, and it's a has a lot of queerness in in the book that they just kind of stripped out and sanded off the edges for the movie. Uh, well, it that's doesn't a hallmark use... of of Poppy Z Bright's writing, and I'm and I'm kind yes, of disappointed yes. more of that wasn't carried over into this film. Right. I mean, you talked about how queer the bad guys were, and. The one we did last week, Crow City of Angels. And in this one, the, well, I not mean, just the bad is... guys, but the crow himself. Oh, sure. Yes. Yep. Yeah. There's a lot of like, you know, like homoerotic imagery and stuff and kinky imagery and stuff in these movies. And they don't, it's just there as dressing and it just kind of seems wasted. Mm hmm. It's, it's just kind of like done with like fast cuts and, uh, yeah, like exactly. Tech, techno, just, like everyone's generic like... techno track number six. Right. I guess let's talk about initial impressions of the Crow Salvation. Uh, my first time watching it for this was for the show. I think it's the same with you guys. Uh, I, I was really I saw Kirsten Dunst on the cover, and I'm like, wow, that's um, that, that's quite the quite the choice. That's a bit too highfalutin for the Crow. Uh, and but but Fred Ward, I, I thought was quite good in this. And Eric Mabius, I recognized him in a supporting part in the first Resident Evil movie where he looks kind of like anime man come to life with his hair and how he talks. Uh, and in this, oh, he he's... Welcome to the dollhouse. Okay. Yeah, he, he's, he's done quite a lot of stuff, but he's not like a, a big star. And I, I think I, I'll give him this. He does the crow better than Vincent Perez did in City of Angels. Yeah, definitely. Um, this, uh, this crow also seems to really enjoy hurting himself. There's like a lot yes. of like self mutilation and stuff. Yeah, yeah. like with the the spindle on the desk he puts his hand through and shooting himself in the face and yeah. Yeah, certainly a darker film. Thrasher, what kind of thoughts do you have on this? It's 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 so strange because this this movie felt like the direct to video ripoff of the crow, more so than the other ones. Like this one, like everything mm. everything in this movie just seems smaller and cheaper than the other films. And while I liked the cheapness in the previous films here, it's finally starting to hurt the series. Uh, and, you know, any, and any opportunity it had to differentiate itself from uh, the other two Crow movies, it gleefully does not take those opportunities. I think the, 
part, part of the strength of this, I think the beginning, the setup is, is quite good. That one's quite, I mean, it's, it's both different and not from what we see in other films. The main character is Alex Corvus, played by uh, Eric Mabius, and he is uh, a young man framed for the murder of his girlfriend, Lauren, uh, you know, framed for a murder he didn't commit. And um, he gets the electric chair. And it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty brutal, dark scene. Yeah, I thought that was a good way because, you know, jumping into it, I'm like, okay, here we go. We're doing something different here. We got a little capital mm-hmm. punishment thing, a wrongfully accused thing, you know, a scorned, you know, lover thing, you know. So you, you, it's a good setup and it's a, a different contrast to the previous films. And then um, it just kind of blows that away. Um, but there was some evocative imagery, like the freaky draconian like uh, electric chair mask they put on him you know yeah. it's like if we're, if we're going to lean into the dark stylings this film's definitely not afraid to do that which i'll, well, I'll give it that but it kind of works to its detriment towards the uh towards the end but we'll get there later well this, this is one of the things where it gets kind of forced because he does because they do you know the, uh, when someone is uh, uh, given the electric chair which is a form of execution that we for some goddamn reason have in the United States yeah. well, by the way we still goddamn have executions in the United States for some reason um, don't we still have hanging as a death well, in the United it's, States it's on the books for treason mm. but uh, I don't think it's right. I don't think it's ever, it's been used in a, like over a hundred years but um okay but anyway so and they so when, when someone is put in the electric chair a hood is put over their face so no one sees their face when they die. Right. But in this movie, it's like a whole big Doctor Doom helmet they put on him. <laughs> to the to the point where I'm kind of shocked he didn't just go around with the helmet on. But instead, yeah, what's so I... forced, because the crow has to look like the crow, the helmet burns the face, <laughs> like burns the eye and mouth makeup into yeah. his face. And like when he when he resurrects, he like peels his burned skin off. Oh, and he's fine underneath, except he has the crow stuff burned into him. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And then everyone refers to him as being in makeup, yeah. not oh, his face is scarred in a specific way. No, it's a guy in makeup. He's not a guy in makeup. This movie yeah, that can't drove me crazy. It's mine. Then that drove me crazy because I was like, okay, it's scars. That's different, I guess. Again, a little different, but the same, really. And then, yeah, when he comes out of the graveyard, Kristen Dunst is like, why is your face painted or something like that? I'm like, wait, isn't that a scar? Why didn't we do this whole thing with, like, peeling off the pancake face and the and the freaky, you know, man, the iron mask bit, you know? I mean, I mean for me, peeling off the pancake face, I thought that those were, were pretty good uh, practical effects. Oh, no, yeah, it's and, nice and messy. I like it. And, like and overall, the, the special effects, I think, are quite good with the exception of when a helicopter explodes. Um, uh, well, that, I, I will say that the, the the CGI crow that shows up a few times, there's a number of shots where good. it looks straight yeah. out of Birdemic. Well, oh, I, I don't know about that. It's I think, just moving in a stiff way. You can see every polygon on its feathers. I No, I, I think it's better than that. I mean, yeah, it is CG for some of it. And um, maybe I just missed it because I happened to due to time time constraints i was watching this on my phone so i can't get as bright as a television but uh, and this is one dark film i mean both in theme and, and visually quite a lot is in shadows uh it what it does well is more so i think than the other ones it's a detective kind of story where the the crow is trying to find out trying to get down all the guys that killed him but the twist is in this one they're all dirty cops and i like that i think you know that that's quite different from kind of the mad max baddies we had in the the first two pictures no that's a a really good angle but it's also the fugitive because he doesn't know the identity of the of the the guy who actually sort of masterminded everything all he knows is he has a specific scar pattern on his arm so it all becomes finding a, a guy with a specific arm Damn it, yeah, right. yeah, I didn't even think about The Fugitive, but you're exactly like, right. Uh, and, and the pattern is like a series of chevrons. It's quite odd. Yeah, it's like a neo-noir pseudo-body horror revenge film. Um, mm-hmm. And the the like whole um, like uh, corruption angle is an interesting direction, but this movie's got more twists and turns than fucking Chinatown, man. Like, oof, <laughs> this is way too much story for what it is. I mean... I, I would blame Pulp Fiction... For, for that sort of, and that you, yeah. you see a lot of these movies around this time, I, I think even still today to some point, it feels like you have to put 
and the sixth sense would be another one, right? You have yeah, to have yeah. all these twists to make it complex. And it's like, not really. If you do it too many, it feels cheap. Or if it's a bad twist, especially at the end, that kind of ruins the whole movie, man. Yeah, well, this is very then... self-conscious, too. It's like it's it's trying to compensate, you know what I mean? It's like it, it's <laughs> not good enough to just be a revenge film. It's got to be, oh, you know, gotcha moments. And well, stuff you know what like it, it feels like? It feels like the movie had two or three really key scenes that like set up certain themes and images. It feels like those scenes were cut, but they had to then find a way to work around that absence, which is what like, I feel like that's gotta be why like the crow just gets the look on his face when his skin falls off rather than I could totally see some, some jackass morgue attendant putting clown makeup on him. And then he wakes up like that would explain why he looks like the crow. Uh, and I also like the whole scarring because, OK, we'll, we'll just get this out of the way. Fred Ward, also also known as the uh, the captain, as he's credited, or police captain John Book. He's the guy with the scarred arm. Like we never like it feels pathological, this like arm thing, but we never get it explained. It's just that it, as near as we can tell. Whenever he kills someone in a specific way, but we don't learn what that way is. Right. He puts like this metal gauge thing in his arm that gives him this like sort of chevron pattern up his yeah. arm. Like th that must mean something, but we don't right. get the scene that gives us what that means. Oh. But then on top of that, uh, on, on top of all that, you know, we, we talked about how in all the other scenes, the Bane bad guy has a, has a, a femme fatale assistant who knows a lot about the occult. Yeah. Well, in this one, no, Book just knows about the occult. He seems to have been expecting a dead guy to come after his whole <laughs> life. And he's and, not delusional. Like, he's just, he knows the premise of the movie he's in. And his femme fatale, it's just crazy. And she goes from zero to crazy in a second in the yeah. third act of the film. We get yeah, no and, indication. And, well, and, and Fred Ward, he he's the basal exposition of the movie. Also, in like one of the twists, like you said, he's he's the the head cheese, the big bad in, in the film. And yet Fred Ward has such a hard chiseled face. I mean, he does look like a, an old police captain and he's such an asshole, but like his line deliveries for me made it unintentionally hilarious when he's saying like, of course, animals can resurrect people for vengeance or whatever, you know, like, yeah, he, he's like I've heard of this. I'm like, yeah, and it's like, that's not the kind of, <laughs> You know, I, I'd expect that dialogue coming from like Tommy Chan or something. Not right. the, there's, there, there's too much going captain. on. There's too yeah, much going yeah, on totally, when he's totally. a crooked police captain, also the head of an evil mega corporation, also a serial killer, also knows about the occult. Yeah, apparently <laughs> and, he's like you know Ed Gein and like you know the commissioner all rolled mm, into one. Like the like reveal if they could of it spread, was spread that around between a few other characters, I think it would work so much better. Right. You do yeah, have a, like... a relatively young Walton Goggins as as one of the guys who who doesn't have a whole lot to do here. Who is damn terrific in this? Like I was watching that and I was mm -hmm. like, if I was like a producer or a casting guy, I would be like, this dude's got it going on. Like, let's give him more scenes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like it, like if we get something from the Crow Salvation, we might have gotten a jumping point for Walton Goggins. So that's a that's a good thing. Yeah, but I mean, one still... it, it is worth noting. Kirsten Dunst in the film is not the uh, the girlfriend that gets killed she is which i sort of expected from the video cover instead she is i think the sister yeah she's the yeah. sister yeah. of the the dead girlfriend and in yeah. in the novel in in the novel uh the sister in the novel the the i don't know if it's a sister or brother but the sibling the sibling of the murdered guy is is trans and again that's another neat angle yes. that this yes, right. movie does not capitalize on yeah i think it's it's playing it safe in all the wrong ways but did so, like, I, I've trumpeted on about this before on the show. Like, you know, I'm always a fan of, uh, you know, of action films, of violence and stuff like that. This movie just felt, like, sadistic. It really did feel like, mm. like the directorial equivalent of, like, a kid, like, torturing an animal or something. Like, Do you think this it is, like, was inspired by, like, Seven? Maybe, yeah. This really felt like, like, mm. Batman for sociopaths. Like, it was just, like, so <laughs> gratuitously violent and, like, tortury and gross and... I mean, there's some, um, like, there were some inspired stylistic scenes, like, when they're, when the cops are all shooting them, you get, like, the reflection of the muzzle fire and the shells flying everywhere, and it was lit really cool, but, like, all of the freaking decapitations and body mutilations and shit, it just was like, ugh, enough already. So the part where he, he gets in the car and he's driving it real fast with the guy in it who can't get out, and then you see the two bodies, like, go through the front of the car and just kind of clump <laughs> yeah. on the ground, like, that's... Well, they ragdoll pretty well. 
Uh, yes. Yeah, true. It's, uh, it's quite... That's also, like, one of those scenes where, like, it goes too far because, like, the crow, they make a, they make a whole meal about how the crow pushes in the cigarette lighter in the car. And for people who don't know the history of the technology, that thing that charges your phone used to be a cigarette lighter. Yeah, um, exactly. And, and when he leaves, they're like, oh, he's gonna he's either going to use that cigarette lighter to burn a message in the guy's head like he did right, like when right. he cut the message in the guy's head. Or he's going to use that to, like, set the car on fire. And we see that the car is leaking gasoline, so he uses it to set the car on fire, and he walks away dramatically from an explosion. And that's pretty cool. But then the bus they crashed into explodes. Then all the cars around them explode. Yes. And then the fireball from the explosion <clears throat> goes up lightly grazes a helicopter and the helicopter explodes <laughs> and it, oh it's my God. so over the top it becomes comical yeah it's like explosions are contagious it's like you know when you sneeze and someone else's sneezes or yawns or something yes. like that yeah and it also it looks bad these are bad explosions these are bad if they don't look good you know what i mean well, like it's a combination of some of, I don't know if the explosions themselves are digital, but some of them seem to have been touched up digitally, but they're all combined with that generic whoosh, whoosh sound right. effect that was in every video game at the time and still shows up and not as a joke. Well, yeah, what that tells like... you about the sound effect is it has to be part of a generic sound effects library. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely a stock fully junk um it, it also it's like the, it looks bad because the superimposed um eric maybe is walking away from it obviously is what yes. gives it bad crop lines and shit like it just doesn't look good yeah no the compositing is, is poor um i mean it doesn't i mean another thing that's unintentionally funny in this movie is like the evil corporation is called dirt really <laughs> that, 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 that's know, your that's best stupid. acronym and, and we never i don't think we ever learn what that what that stands for d-e-r-t it's an acronym for something but we yeah. like in, what it is. It's like in like early sci-fi movies when they thought everything had to like have a name, you know, like let me get into my computerized automated rotomatron, like aka yes. car, you know, like yeah. Uh direct energistic retrofit technologies. Exactly. Also known as dirt. Yeah, oh. it could just be like the guy's name, you know, like Atherton and Board, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of corporations are. <laughs> I, I got it. His name is Joe Dirt, and he's played by David Spade in a five-second cameo at the end. The crow, dead as dirt, and that's the premise. Joe <laughs> Dirt dies and comes his back face, and He's like, hope y'all enjoyed the film. <laughs> he time-traveled in one movie. He can be a crow in another movie. That's right. Yeah. He did time-travel in the second one. And um, also, like, what was with that, like, when he's like, you killed her, you know, when they're having the big confrontation. And then he, like, mentions a like, doctor to photograph. It's like, so this guy's also like a digital imager, serial killer, police captain, entrepreneur, oh, corrupt okay, official. Okay, yeah, we, we have to talk about that that showdown because, cause again, it's like Bo Captain Book knows, he, uh, he knows exactly how the crow works apparently and it turns out so so you would think as as an undead spirit of vengeance you would be sort of compelled by spiritual forces to do what you're doing no it turns out you can be tricked into re-dying and that's what happens <laughs> despite despite the fact that alex corvus should know his own mind and should know what he witnessed and should know he's innocent book uses an edited photograph and some psychological double talk to convince him that he's the real killer and that there's oh, no one to avenge. <laughs> and that just makes him re-die. Which is ridiculous, too, because it's not like the it's not like an Eric Draven situation where they kind of die like almost simultaneously. It's like she died and then he was on death row probably for like a year and a half. You know what I mean? Like, so he's been stewing and stewing of the soul thing the whole time. So like he's just gonna all of a sudden like the flip of a switch be like, oh, oh, yeah, I guess maybe I was the killer because this guy is saying so. Well, then, then, but then he, he comes back to life again. And the whole re only reason he comes back to life again is that Kristen Dunst, whose mouth has been stitched shut, by the way, and for it's some very reason. disturbing. I guess that's an yeah. image that really freaked me out. The I whole was almost more disturbed with Kristen Dunst using a knife to cut open the uh, stitches. Oh, the scalpel, yeah. But like, exactly. It's just that, like, it, like, such like layered on sadism of this movie that's just so off-putting like and stitching set... her mouth is more effective than duct tape i guess right like come and, on. It, and <laughs> it's set in john book's secret taxidermy dungeon which is behind <laughs> which is in his passage in his police captain's office like what happens if he retires or transfers <laughs> like yeah <laughs> what happens with 
<laughs> that dungeon. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> but the whole reason Corvus co- comes back to life again is that she's got her sister's locket. And so, like, she manages to pass the locket to the bird, and the bird drops it next to so next dumb. to Dra- Corvus. <laughs> and then Corvus just wakes up and is the crow again. And it's like, they never, like, you've already established in the previous two movies you can go after the bird. If Book already knows how crows work, why can't he just go after the bird? Like, when you describe it, it sounds like this, like, Pee Wee Herman-esque, like, contraption, you know? Like, I expect to hear that, like, dang, 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 da, 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 music while it's playing, like... Well, it's such a, if you believe in fairies clap your hands moment, it's completely unmotivated, him, him coming, him re-dying and then coming back to life. It's such a, it's such a needless obstacle. <laughs> well, because I was kind of confused, because I was like, wait, did the, like, crow, like, the bird die? Is that why he's dying? I was like, did I miss something? I was like, did the bird die in that other explosion or some shit? That's why this dude is dying, and then you see this, like, all of a sudden, this, like, magical photograph, because, again, Fred Ward, the captain, is everything, you know? It's like, it's like an excited kid trying to tell a story. It's like, oh, he's a Frankenstein, and a Dracula, and a werewolf, and mm-hmm. a vampire. Mm-hmm. It's like... Uh, this guy is just Lord Universe, you know, he can just do everything, I guess. And the also... other thing is, and this is this is something that does not work, uh, that, that I think hurts the movie, is that no one knows who the man with the scar is. Like, even the crooked cops he's going up against, they don't know that there's a, they, like, they don't know that there's a man with a scar. They are completely ignorant of the fact that they're working for the man with the scar, and yet, when we when we keep cutting to Corvus's memory, where he sees the arm planting the knife, his sleeve is totally rolled up. Yeah, and that's part of like a like. How does like also too? It's like if you've ever like worked or done anything in your life, like at some point you're gonna roll up your sleeve or wear a short sleeve shirt. It's going to be a big giveaway. Someone's gonna be like, "Hey, Fred, what's up with your fucking freaky scarred tissue?" Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's, like, it's like no one knows just so they can preserve the mystery, but there's like, but the, but his associates not knowing it only raises more questions. Well, you know, let's, right. let's talk about that a bit because a, a cornerstone of all these crow movies is, and, and they all follow this formula, I assume. I haven't seen next week's movie, Wicked Prayer, but I bet you it will. That the crow has these like really quick flash memories of what happened, and then that kind of fills out as the movie goes on. In yeah, this they one, like sort of absorb memories from some people as they go. Right, to. right, and and like the flashbacks of the moment when they die. I think in this is is quite brutal. Um, yeah, quite oh. hard to watch, really. Where it, I mean, they they tell over and over again how uh, Lauren, the girlfriend, gets stabbed like fifty two times or fifty six times because they say it so many goddamn times. Yeah, like, fifty three. Right, I'll never and and also it. like they they all try at a game banner and oh it's just like all this shit going on and but i do like how it's filmed with what looks like a uh a camcorder built-in filter that (laughs) makes things like have these like hot red and orange angle like color for the colors i think that looked kind of cool like it's at least not black and white it it makes it flashbacks yeah yeah in the flashbacks oh yeah 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 yeah, it kind of had this like sagebrush sepia look, which was cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, but with pushing some of the red colors and stuff, I think that looked pretty good. But also, uh, Eric maybe as as the crow here. Well, he's better than Vincent Perez. I don't think he does a great job either. I think he's a little flat, and he's really flat when he's like the human version. Yeah, and he's just not interesting. And again, it's like I feel like all these guys just got the stage direction of. You know, just just give me that Brandon Lee vibe. You know what I mean? Like he he doesn't have any charm, and I'm not buying him as a badass, not for a second. Like this guy yeah. looks like he should be like a sci-fi writer or something like that. Well, you, you know what it is? <laughs> In all the other Crow movies, we get a real sense of who the Crow is and what they did for a living and what their relationships were before they died. In this one, he's a complete cipher. Even with those flashbacks, we never really get a sense of who he was or what he did in the out right. in the world. I, I guess he, he worked a at a junkyard because a lot of his memories feature a very photogenic junkyard, but I'm not entirely yeah. sure. Like, I know he's got a car and a girlfriend. That's really about it. And, and there's also, there's nothing creative about it because, like, like you're going to get first crow, musician. Second crow, fancy motorcycle and guy. Uh, this crow, who knows? He owns a van, I think. Yeah, that's about it. The crow who owns a van. 
I mean, yeah, it looks like his, uh, looking at his career, you know, he, his future career kind of puttered out. He's been doing all sorts of television and made for TV movies, which is fine, but he's not like, I don't know, like it, you get the sense like this third Crow movie with him as a star was kind of going to be a big break for him. And I mean, this must have sold well enough as a direct to video movie for them to do a fourth Crow movie. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah, and but like yeah, why cast wanna... him in, in the other movies? The Crow was a person of color. Yeah, it's like the qualifier for becoming the Crow is that you have to be like a hot guy with a girlfriend who is wrongfully dead. And that's really about it. Like, I, there's nothing going on with this guy. And, like, I wasn't sure if it was him or just the bad script or both. I think it's sure. a case of both because I just, like you said, as a human and the flashbacks, he's not interesting. And as a crow, he's not interesting. Like, I just, he's not, like, delivering his lines. He's just talking. You know what I mean? Yeah, like he does pitch his voice up a little bit as the crow, like Brendan Lee did. Um, Thrasher, do you have some thoughts on him? I he's he's good enough i i i think like when when he does when he does like the self-inflicted harm there's a lot of like creepy sort of funhouse menace to him like he's clearly trying to freak out his his opponents i like that angle of his performance mm. but beyond that like again he's su- he's such a blank slate in those rare scenes we get where he's not the crow that like i i wish i had something to co- i wish i had something more human to contrast that with and they it's not necessarily his fault because the movie doesn't give him much outside of being the crow to do. And also they flashback, like you said earlier, they flashback to like a, like a, like they're play Kung Fu fighting with each other. I'm like, maybe he'll have some martial arts prowess, you know, it's nope. like, give him a staff, give him a fucking nun pair of nunchucks or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, strangely like... enough, when he assaults the, the bar, that's also the strip club. That's also the industrial porn factory. Oh, um, he does do like actual like kung fu moves and like fancy martial arts. That's the only scene he does them in. Right, and it's like uh, it just barely flirts it because yeah, he does kind of murk that guy in the neck real quick. I'm like, ooh, all right, like let's do this. And then, so, really, so yeah. I will say this: like the the porn. So the when the third floor of the of the bar slash strip club where they're like making porn. That is more like porn now than it was internet porn when this movie was made. <laughs> It's all pe- yeah. it's all people with dyed hair in abstract sets. Yes, <laughs> in front of webcams. Doing well, my, speaking of the webcams, my favorite was that he goes to the the crow goes to the computer console, and I guess it's supposed to be a, a website or something. But they can it's these really chonky uh, buttons that look like a, an old like Windows three dot one thing where it's like well, camera it's, one, camera two, and then there's a button for edit HTML, and it's like it, that's not really how that works. Oh, yeah. And yet, that's a more sensible user interface than we usually see when a movie tries sure. to depict the internet. Yep. And, <laughs> and they make a point of setting up the webcams and then having a payoff at the end where the crow uses them to track down where a guy's hiding. Yeah, so, yeah, he's, oh, yeah. he's hiding in the fake shower set. Like, we see a scene being filmed in the shower, <laughs> but there's no water. I love that. Oh, I also, uh, they another kind of lame uh revision thing is uh when he goes up to like the one dancer and he sees the track marks and it's a callback to the first film he just goes Mm -hmm. like how old are you and it's like you know and then she runs off and it's like yeah she probably just ran off because a fucking weird dude with not painted face but painted face came in and grabbed her and she's not not just that but the crow is uh i guess you'd call it strip shaming i don't know what you'd call it but like he's assuming that he that she's a stripper because She's uh, on her wayward path, but some people are strippers because that's what they want. And that's what they it's like. So, and, yeah. And it's also a semi-lucrative profession that can earn you a lot of money. Quite, um, yeah, quite lucrative to a point. Well, yeah. It's, well, it's like, yeah, it's like, it's like, the, it's, it's just, they pay lip service to the fact that he's trying to save her from an addiction. And like, like that's, that's another angle. Like the other, the other crow movies, he does save some people who don't really yeah. have anything to do with his quest for vengeance. This crow is a selfish jackass who only, <laughs> He doesn't save anybody. He just murders people. And had a van. Um, oh, oh. So I gotta, I gotta ask you something. So, without looking this up, can you tell me where this movie is set? Where does this take place? Okay. Um. um without looking it up. I uh, will. Uh, I'll guess it takes place in Chicago. Yeah, I would say 
not Gotham, which is Chicago. So yeah, Salt Lake City. No right. shit. This is supposed to be Salt Lake City. Like, if you say so, movie. Like, I guess okay. yeah. Yeah. Like, why not make the crow Mormon? That would have been interesting. Hey there, this is Jeremy Parrish, and if you're a fan of classic video game soundtracks, or if you just love 20-minute rock epics about war-ready armadillos that battle Catholicism, you should listen to Alexander's Ragtime Band. Join the power trio of myself, Elliot Long, and James Eldred each month as we talk about the most pretentious music of all, progressive rock, right here on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Do you love The Legend of Zelda? Here at Chat of the Wild, a game club podcast, we have been using our lens of truth to do deep dives on your favorite action-adventure series to find out what makes this franchise so amazing. Join us right now as we sail through The Wind Waker or check out any of our past seasons. New episodes drop every Wednesday here on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Yeah, I well, mean, for looks... the Christian imagery thing again. Like well, that's, first... that's actually, that that brings us back to the Poppy Zebright connection, because as, as I recall, Poppy Zebright was raised Mormon and has had struggles, struggles with faith, uh, and that has been expressed through a lot, through a lot of their writing. And like, I suspect that's probably the only reason that this is set in, in Salt Lake City is because I, uh, is because of the Poppy Zebright connection. Although, well, interestingly enough, the novel is set in New Orleans. <laughs> and Poppy Zebright has, has spent much of his adult life in New Orleans and kind of considers it his, his home. And to, to, I mean, New Orleans is always an interesting setting for movies, I, I think. I've been there only once, but I think about it all the time. And compared to, say, like Salt Lake City, which doesn't really bring anything to mind, yeah, all the Mormon churches. Of, uh, it's not as evocative it, for this. It doesn't bring show. to mind a looming metropolis. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm not thinking of this like you know, like gothic hellscape, you know, fucking, you know, metropolis. Yeah. It's uh, it's like if you say so, it's Salt Lake City, I guess. According to Wikipedia, that's what it says. So, like, sure, why not? That's where all the dirt goes down. <laughs> I mean, you might as well have called this like Atlanta, and it would have been more believable although like, it doesn't look and like look at the salt lake city skyline it looks like a very it looks like a very pleasant city and there's this huge mountain in the background a mountain we I don't know. see <laughs> the shots like if there's warehouses and strip clubs i guess the crow can go down there you know yeah yeah that's part of the crow's natural habitat yes <laughs> TV strip clubs Strip clubs and warehouses. I mean, we're we're lucky the end credits didn't have uh, a CG crow dressed as a stripper dancing around the pole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although, hey, so, the soundtrack once again, the soundtrack is notable. Yeah, I you know mm -hmm. digging some white zombie there. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, of course. Rob zombie, yeah. Uh, but then uh, on top of all, uh, and then like, oh god, what was that? There's that. Uh, yeah, Living Dead Girl. There is. Uh, I'm trying to find. I'm trying to find the song because there was a song from a few years like before. I, I wonder if this movie sat on a shelf, and that might also explain. It, the it did for song. a few years. Yeah. Um, okay, so that yeah. part of why Kirsten Dunst looks so young in this. That okay. That would exp Oh wow, Crystal Method. Because there, there's a song. Because like there's a song. The song that plays over the credits. Uh, that was that was like a song from like '98. Which I think was even released in '98 as "Hey, the single from the new Crow movie." <laughs> yeah. Mm. Filter. Um, right. Old. I mean, it really sounds like they sat on this just to wait until Kirsten Dunst was more of a star because I think it wasn't Spider-Man around 2000. No, it was uh, after it was 2001. Excuse me. 2001, I think. So. Um, yeah. Who knows? They. I mean, movies get sat on all the time. Oh, and I mean, yeah. What I mean. But speaking oh. of Rob Zombie, this only also reminds me of the crow we didn't get because Rob Zombie was attached to, to directing a third crow movie for mm -hmm. ages. And the story goes, and, and this is probably why it didn't get made, but the story goes he wanted to make it an animated film set in the future. And damn, I want to see that. That would be awesome. Yeah, there's um, I hate playing, you know, if I ran the zoo with, the, with these movies, but there's just so many missed opportunities here. Um, there is a minute. They're anthology, so just do whatever. Just fucking, you know, right. you want to crow a woman, make it a woman. You want to make him gay, make him gay. You want to just do something that contrasts the original films, aside from freaking going all Jeffrey Dahmer, then go for it. But <laughs> apparently that's all they really wanted to do, was just wallow in twisted shit. Um, also, the where the, he stabbed I, one of the cop's hands really got to me. Like, I never like it when people get stabbed through the hand, but this one, he just twists the knife and just kind of... 
uh, yeah, like you said, just like revels in in his own filth. Yeah, and like I I remember when he gets to the first guy, because like flashback all the way to that. It's like um when he pulls over those two girls, it's just so yucky, and mm-hmm. it's like. Abel Ferreira can do that because he made Bad Lieutenant and like you can direct like a tense, uncomfortable yeah. scene that has some resonance. But with this, it's just like, oh, it's just you you feel the gesturing behind every scene. Like you just feel like it's just a lot of gesturing and no substance. You know what I mean? It's like, ooh, isn't this grimy? Isn't this gritty? You know, and it's like, yeah, you're just pushing it too hard and not finding anything. Sure. I mean, to kind of wrap up this discussion on crow salvation it's it does at the end kind of circle back around to uh the electric chair where the crow does the electric chair on the captain oh and, yeah and Who to see the captain, to come back as his own crow <laughs> i know I yeah. wish they would have done that why not do good crow versus bad crow i mean there yeah. we go or very crow um yeah <laughs> that sounds great <laughs> and, and make that the third act you know have them and you could do more, I mean, it'd be more expensive because you'd have, you do, you know, they're all doing their crow magic against each other. But like, <laughs> maybe the, since the, the good crow is black, the bad crow can be white or something. Like, have, I don't know. Go yeah. Weird. Or like have people who are like wrongfully executed come back to life or something like that. Oh, yeah, sure. Like, a, like You bomb. know, if again, if you're going to like do this heavy handed execution scene, I, I would expect or anticipate or maybe like a, a, a you know an illusion or exploration of uh, death penalty. I, I thought that was kind of going to happen, but it just didn't, I guess. Like, it's a bit anticlimactic. Like, yeah. I'm yeah. Not sure. right. It would have been nice. It would have been nice to see. Although, although like we do have him describe what it's like to be electrocuted. We do see that sort of cavalier way. The news reporter gives you some facts about the way the execution is going to work. It only takes that, <laughs> but you do sense worth of electricity to kill a condemned man. But one thing about this scene that I did really like Though Corvus is the one that straps Book into the electric chair and forces the helmet on his face, I do like that it's Kirsten Dunst as Aaron yes. Randall who pulls the switch. Yeah, I like I like that the woman who has been scorned is gets her part of this revenge. Yeah. I mean, it would have yeah, been nice if they gave her more shit to do in the movie. True. Yeah, true. she just has things explained to her. Like, I remember that scene where we cut <laughs> away and it comes back and like... She's sitting down. He's like, you know, doing his like crow pose on like the hood of the car with like these candles burning. And I felt bad for her. I was like, she's got to be so bored. Like, he's like, and then I found out that it's all this dirty corporation run by the police, and you're dead. Literally part. dirty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and and he also like puts his hands on her and is like, see, it's not enough that your uh, your sister died. Why don't you see how she got like raped and stabbed to death? Like that seems a bit mean, Mister Crow. I know. Yeah, dick. See my yeah, pain. I, did, I, yeah, I didn't like it when he was projecting those memories into her head. That seemed that seemed cruel. Yeah, and it didn't like, you know, like if she needed convincing of like how horrible her sister's death was or something. You know what I mean? Like, it didn't like seem like he had to sell her on anything. You know what I mean? It's like I'm pretty sure she's kind of on your side at this point in the film. Like there was some resistance at first because you know you're a creepy guy who popped out from behind a gravestone. Mm-hmm. Um, or like, like if you're going to convince her, why not just use? evidence which which mm. is how you get an innocent person <laughs> off death row to begin with like yeah, i feel like right. this Ideally. i feel like this movie wants to have its death row imagery but doesn't want to explore the way the way executions work and that's I know, a very like that, that mask is just i mean like i'm not going to try to apply like rational thought to this film because this is a very rational film but just like things like the mask and things like the ridiculous torture chamber of horrors that he has i was like i just thought like that mask like someone has to wash that you know think about that poor guy um (laughs) someone has to wash it someone has to polish it yeah like oh that's why many things in medicine is are disposable (laughs) but like and also if you like again it's not fair to really apply that much rationale to this but Hear me out. So the police chief, commissioner, captain, whatever, has this like chamber of horrors built into his office as like a secret compartment. If you've ever been in a public building or had a job for that matter, it's really hard to get the place to yourself ever. So like, when did he do this? Like, you know, did the janitor not hear him like hammering and sawing and building and erecting and doing this all giant taxidermy? 
Yeah, maybe, exactly. maybe he paid off the janitor. I don't know. Like, <laughs> did he keep right. getting taxidermy supplies wholesale shipped to his office? Or mm-hmm. the previous tenants had it, or something? Like, <laughs> hey, hey, we got uh, we got uh, 50, 50 pounds of, uh, of glass animal eyes for a Captain right. John book. Can you sign it, <laughs> please? <laughs> oh, right over here. Yeah, they're for my uh, nephew. <laughs> He's got some problems. Um, <laughs> Or, you know, like when they when they moved in there, they're like, hey, uh, Bill, there's a there's this like, you know, Ed Gein chamber. You want your office over here? <laughs> well, you know, I've always thought like... I've always thought about it. Let's yeah, let, yeah. let's buy this property. It's a uh, good uh, like, increase its value there with a, the hidden sex dungeon. There is is it hole... also like built on Indian burial grounds? <laughs> there is a hole outside his office. Surely someone has noticed. Hey, you notice how there's like a room and then like a big old empty wall. And then the chief's office, but his office is kind of small. Wonder what's right. in that big blank space behind <laughs> that wall. It's like you know when you see like someone like pull a gun from a secret compartment, or like there's a false like bookshelf. It's like I'll take that leap of faith in the movie, you know, because it makes it more interesting. But like to take this leap of faith of this like you know magical mystical dungeon of terror is like just so stupid. <laughs> It's right. like I'll buy a hidden compartment, you know, or a false wall, but I'm not going to take the leap of faith to have this so, freaking, you know, chamber yeah. of terrors. And yet, in spite of all this, I would recommend The Crow Salvation. I think it's better than City of Angels, the second one. It is is gross in a lot of, pretty rapey and gross in a lot of ways. and But yet, it, it does something different, I think, with the main character. And it, it has a good beginning the bad guys aren't as good as the other pictures but it's um it, it's good enough it just barely kind of clears the hurdle for me to be a sequel yes thrasher uh, i'm gonna give it a sequel yes i don't think I, I i don't think it's better than the previous crow film but as a i found this to be a very entertaining bad movie uh so like I could I could go for some more. I, I am willing to either have this franchise turn itself around or see if they can top themselves as far as their badness. Uh so yeah, this this was a worthwhile experience. Um shit. I mean, like there's some good scenes. There's some interesting stuff going on. I was thinking about this right when the credits started to roll. I was like so very very close to giving it a very 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 marginal yes but i gotta go with sequel no just because the the lead guy is just such a mopey dick with a van and i just don't think he's interesting and like while the police corruption angles all right it's like his personal conquest is just i'm just so not behind it after a certain point and it's just like it's like we were saying. It just it just wallows in its own depravity. Just a little too much for me to really uh, recommend or uh, or really embrace this movie. So I'm gonna have to go with a. This is like a almost a D minus factor, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, right. It, it's close, but it's just yeah. It just shoots itself in the foot too many times. I hear you. Uh, well, let's go to pitch a sequel. What? Um, that was my stomach just growling. If you could hear that in the background. <laughs> What, what I, what I, uh, what I do if I could do a, a sequel to this film, it, it's tough because, because as we mentioned, this series is a bunch of one-offs. But I think I might do a direct sequel to Crow, Crow Salvation, and uh, except have the lead be the captain with Fred Ward reprising his role. And it would be about an evil crow. There's no good crow. There's just an evil crow, and he gets revenge on the people responsible for for killing him. Meaning he goes after the Kirsten Dunst character. And uh, at the beginning, he he kills her, and then she comes back to life as a female crow. And so you get crow versus crow at the end. And it's called um, The Crows, with an S at the end. And the tagline would be, time to eat. <laughs> Not two crows are better than one. <laughs> <laughs> Or a crow uh, in the hand is worth two in the bush. Okay, actually, I, I, I changed my mind. It's going to be, uh, the tagline will be, something to crow about. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you would have the, the bad guy, Fred Ward, crow on the one end facing against the uh, the good guy, Kirsten Dunst Crow, on that's the like, other end. That's like a Gene Shalit review. Is this, <laughs> is this new film something to crow about, or is it just for the birds? 
This, as the kids would say, this movie flaps. <laughs> oh, Alex, boy. what's your picture sequel? Um, let's see. So my picture sequel is going to be... Um, uh, so there's a horrible, um, you know, wrongful death of, uh, you know, the, this lovely young couple, because that's what happens a lot in these movies. Um and uh, it just turns out that lightning strikes the wrong grave and resurrects this, like, other guy. Mm. <laughs> and, like, since all these other dudes have, like, cool names, like Alex Corvus, Eric Draven, he's, like, his name's, like, you know, Hyman Rothberg. And, you know, like, the, the crow flapping around is, like, you know, ooh, get your vengeance. And he's, like, I don't know what to do. Oh, what am I here? I've got, I feel terrible. Oh, you played by David Schwimmer. Yes, he's played by a very uh, antsy uh, David Schwimmer. So, you know, he's kind of led on this, uh, you know, quest for vengeance because, you know, that's what you got to do. And he, he's, he's so uncomfortable all the time. Like, he doesn't like firing guns and he's really shy around knives. He's dropping stuff a lot. Um, and it's called uh, Crow Zero. Uh, what am I doing here? Question mark with like a shoulder shruggy david schwimmer with a makeup like oh what am i doing and um yeah that's my bad bitch as sequel. all right well mine is going to be night of the crows where we're going to we're going to go back to having crazy themed gangs uh and and <laughs> devil's night we're going to bring back the whole halloween imagery because that that works i don't know why this movie abandoned that for no adequately explained reason um if not bringing in a new holiday, because the crow at Christmas would be cool, but I'll save that for later. Anyway, so the way this works is that this gang has been so successful at terrorizing the city that on Halloween, uh, everyone they have ever killed comes back as a crow. It is literally an army of crows rise up from graves all across the city and start hunting down and slaying the gang <clears throat> on uh, on the Devil's Night. So... The thing, so most of this story won't be told from the crow's perspective. It will be told by the perspective of the gang, and it will be a real survival horror movie as they are all picked off. But that'll be the fun of it, though, is we'll enjoy watching them get picked off because we'll see uh, what awful people they are uh, until finally it'll get to like the big. It'll it'll get to the. Uh, the main leader of the gang, we'll call him Skullboy, because that that feels like the type <laughs> of name that they need. My my apologies to Judy Gloom, but it's going to be Skullboy, uh, and. <laughs> And because I like it when the crow gets a little literary and high-minded and quotes old literature, so they're all going to all the crows are gonna uh, are gonna uh, swarm on him, and each is gonna extract a literal pound of flesh from him and carry that pound of flesh back to their graves. Ooh, I like the pound of flesh. Yeah, we'll just call it murder. Yeah. What the hell, murder of crows? That'll be that scene. Yes, there we go. Very good. I um, I was distracted. I was looking up Poppy Z. Bright's website has a story about how uh, one of his nipples got torn off as he was emptying ah. a cat, uh, a cat box. Oof! Oh, that's so horrible. Yeah. Speaking of body reason. horror, right? Yeah, there's just ew, yeah. It's like I want to like watching this movie. It's like, dude, do you want to talk or something? <laughs> Mm -hmm. This is some it's, angsty shit, yeah. It's a lot going on, even for, for movies of that time that, I mean, inspired by things like Seven and Fight Club, a lot of the David yeah. Fincher films just made stuff super uh, dark and, and squishy. Yeah, squishy But just like, right as you word. said, it's like that sadism for no reason. Not, not, it's not motivated sadism. <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, We're not getting or, anything out of this. <laughs> sure. Uh, or if you are, you might want to see someone. But, I mean, you know, when yeah. I was... Surveying people online about the Crow films, it was uh, people were saying that it uh, was like their favorite of the series, and, and a lot of people mm. like this one. So I, I found that interesting after watching it. Um, but I gave it a sequel, yes. So I'll, I'll, I'll shut up. Uh, yeah, it's it time to go. I was curious if this yeah. was going to be like an Exorcist three scenario, you know, like the, oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you know, like the undervalued third entry that's mm -hmm. actually like a standalone masterpiece. Um, in that, yeah, I was kind of pumped for that because you were saying last um, the last episode that some people do regard this very highly, and um, so yeah, I was kind of pumped. And then you know, you know, right. And as far as I know, there's no alternate 
cuts or unrated cuts of this because it was kind of before that thing was popular. Otherwise, they would have. Yeah, exactly. And uh, actually, I just noticed this in Wikipedia. This was supposed to get a theatrical release originally, which maybe expand explains why the budget's a bit higher. Yeah, it does feel like a mainstream movie. Like it's got enough uh, momentum behind it. Uh, well, financially, that is. As I understand it, it did have a release, but it was pretty limited. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe overseas, I don't know. I mean, there's so many movies, you know, that maybe get released for one night in one city to qualify as a theatrical release. Right, yeah. Could be one of those. Um, on to what you're watching. Uh, trying to think. Uh, Alex, what have you been watching? What the hell have I been watching? Um, so I went a little crazy with the Arrow UK Blu-ray sale, and I got yeah. a lot of movies. Um, and in preparation for one of my favorite times of the year, November, I watched I rewatched an old uh, favorite of mine, Joseph Lewis's The Big Combo. Um, quite possibly one of not just one of the best film noirs, but one of the best film noirs that has the word "big" in it. Um, really cool. Uh, this this is one of the best like B noirs. You know, you've got like The Big Sleep, Double Indemnity, Maltese Falcon, and those are all great and cool. But these, like, the line of, like, these grimy B-movies are just the best. And um, it's a real fast and loose, stylish, um, maybe not fast and loose isn't the right word, but uh, some good inspired, gritty, uh, you know, cop, gangster, uh, you know, story with um, a great cast featuring a young Lee Van Cleef, um, uh, Edmund O'Brien, um, Richard Conti. It's a it's a great cast. It's a good, gritty, grimy little uh, dirty movie that I would highly recommend. Good stuff. It's like a yeah. It's a it's a it's a it's good grimy. It's, that's an exciting example of good good grit. Cool. Um, something. I, yeah, I've never seen that. I should really watch more noir because every time I do, I'm like, oh, I should be watching more of these. These are cool. Oh yeah, and you got to do the B ones like the Hitchhiker, Detour. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are just the best, yeah. It's a, I have been reading some of the old noir books. Um, a lot of those movies are based of, and it's it's such a neat kind of. Uh, I mean, it's both gritty, but like very like efficient style of writing. Yeah, I was reading some Dashiell Hammett this summer, um, mm. and it's like a it's very strong writing. It's it's very brawny, but it's very it's got some you know intelligent flourishes. It's really interesting the whole genre, everything around it. Sure. Uh, one thing I've been watching is we, you know, we were trying to watch something kind of spooky for Halloween, and we ended up putting on this movie um, that I guess Avanna looked on BuzzFeed or something or, or one of those websites that's just like, oh, this is like the scariest movie in the past few years, mm. and it's called Session Nine, I believe. Mm. Oh, I know about this one. I haven't seen it, but it, it sounded cool. Uh, it it's um, a low budget horror film starring uh, David Caruso is is the main recognizable name in there. Uh, oh, okay. And, it, it, and the concept is is interesting. It's like this place was an asylum, sort of like hospital thing, and uh, Caruso and his friends work for a company that's going to go in the building and remove all the asbestos. And it's a setup for kind of a, a ghost story and a, a, a movie about people kind of slowly going crazy. And as far as setups go, it, it's both interesting and boring at the same time. Like, you yeah. don't really see detailed asbestos removal in films for a reason, but... It's not that interesting, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it, it's like, well, I mean, as far as like a hook for a movie, this is this is different. And like, they, they discover uh, some of the guys they're cleaning, like all these kind of tapes that uh, real to real tapes that reveal what's been going on in the, in the place. And I'll, I'll give it this having that like as audio and because of the budget, they don't really show much of what went on and you can imagine it, it makes it more creepy than on something like sinister, which is an Ethan Hawke movie where he finds these like snuff films and watches them. And a lot of it is just, you're watching snuff films. Yeah. And, and it's like the unseen is often more, more scary than the scene. Um, oh yeah. The plot twist at the end of session nine is, is pretty uh, bad for my money, but there's enough interesting things. It's it's okay. Um, yeah, it's been on my radar. It looks cool. Um, yeah, I, I believe it was on Netflix. Like, if you if you can't if you're struggling to find something, you might as well watch it. You might. It's not not a big recommendation, but it's uh, I've seen worse. Yeah. I've seen better, and kind of so so on it. Uh, Thrasher, have you seen it? No, relatively, I haven't. 
Okay. Uh, what's something you've been watching? Well, I finally, I, I, I knew it had to happen eventually, but I finally saw a Herschel Gordon Lewis movie I did not like. Uh, oh. Herschel Gordon Lewis, I've talked about him before. He is Life known East. as the godfather of gore. In the late 50s to the early 70s, he had a very productive period where he wrote and directed and occasionally showed up uh, in, in uh, these exploitation films, uh, mostly uh, horror, some exploitation. Uh, and this was a romantic comedy that he did called How to Make a Doll. It is not oh. good. I so, didn't know even when, one. You, when you say comedy, is it like a, a sex comedy? Is it like a farce or is it, it actually it trying wants, to go for the romance? It wants to be a sex comedy. So, so of course, it came out in 1968. And, of course, it's set against the backdrop. Uh, like clear, Clearly, this is meant to be set against the backdrop of the sexual revolution. Uh, but the main character is this guy called Percy Corley. Uh, and he's he's this college professor at this uh, at this university uh, and you know he has no he has no luck with relationships he's kind of a, a nebbishy character but like all of his students and all of the other faculty are just constantly hooking up and like that that's one of the only good bits in this movie is like during the whole introduction everywhere he goes uh, students and professors are making out in like ridiculously <laughs> obtrusive ways. And that kind of works as a joke. Nothing will from this point on. And eventually we see him go on a, uh, on a horrible date. And then eventually something close to a plot kicks in when another professor invites him to see the computer he's invented. And it's a <laughs> computer. They say it's a computer. It's really a desk with some Christmas lights <laughs> and some corrugated plastic. Um, <laughs> He's invented a computer so advanced that they can use it to, to, you can program in the specifics and it can make things. It's a replicator. So, of course, what do they do? They start replicating sexy girls. <laughs> uh, but this doesn't go anywhere. Uh, and then uh, this goes on for a while. And this doesn't go anywhere. We just sort of see women pose as they come out of the computer. Then the doctor who invents the computer gets stuck in the computer and disintegrates, but then it turns out his memories have been imprinted on the computer, but that's okay. Now he can neuralink to Percy and make him a ladies' man, and he can go out and hook up with women and then upload the experiences into the computer. So it becomes this weird psychosexual double team thing. And then we see a bunch of miserable dates with Percy Corley as a ladies' man. And you wonder when is it going to end, but it doesn't end. <laughs> and then finally, Percy Corley makes the computer self-destruct. And you think, oh, good, he's free. He can be his own man. The movie's over. No, it's not. We then see him have a relationship with a young woman. And this goes on for like a half hour. Wow. Until finally it ends with the weirdest visual gag where it's just him and the young woman on a park bench and he thinks really hard, and she turns into a, a rabbit person, and then they just walk away. What? <laughs> it is, a... Like, for as wild as Blood Feast is, at least it has a thrust. You can follow where that story's going. <laughs> Everything <laughs> is just this, and then, uh, and then this, and then this. And the worst part is, there's padding in this. Like, oh every time the computer is used, we have to hear... Over one minute of zany sound effects while uh. Percy mugs looking at blinking lights before anything actually happens. And those sound effects become more painful and oh, jarring yeah. as this goes on. This sounds this like so odd. I might have to track this down. Is this part of like that big box set? Uh, uh, of all I, the... I, I watched this streaming on Tubi. Uh, it may oh, be okay. part of a box set. Like if, if you if you want to enjoy a Herschel Gordon Lewis movie, I would say stick to his horror, like again, like Blood Feast. But if you want to yeah. go deep, then yeah, uh, you uh, you don't have my blessing, but watch How to Make a Doll. That sounds. I, I can remember like three of like the fourteen things you mentioned. Yeah, uh, it's <laughs> and, and it's and it's not sexy. It's not as sexy as it thinks it is. It fails at being sexploitation as well. Yeah. Wow. No, I really need to get into Horschel Gordon Lewis, and I need to get into the, uh... oh shit, who's the guy that did Beyond the Valley of the Dolls? Russ Meyer. Yeah, I need to get into his stuff too. So one thing, one thing that I feel like this is some sort of gag, but there's like a title card, 
and there's a note on it that looks way too professionally printed that says do not bend fold staple or mutilate like it's an old record cover i feel like they just put a picture and a title on an old record cover because i can't imagine that's a reference to anything it (laughs) it, thus making it the cheapest title card ever yeah it it very well could be i've heard of stranger things i spent more time trying to decipher that do not staple or mutilate thing than I did enjoying this movie. I did not enjoy this oh, movie. Oh, boy. Uh, I hope you didn't drag Sarah into watching this. No, no, no. She she has been spared. I've, yeah, I've seen a gaggle of his movies. Like the main ones, Blood Feast, 2000 Maniacs, and um, Gorgor Girls. And they're good, and they're interesting in just like a historical way. Just kind of seeing like the birth of like gore cinema as we know it, you know. Well, I mean, if you want to know what, how, how much of an impact he had... He patented his fake blood formula and then would sell his fake blood wholesale to other horror filmmakers. That's awesome. Yeah, because it's kind of like a thing within um, horror cinema. Like some guys have like their own recipe for blood. Like Larry Fessenden has one. Roman Polanski apparently has one, um, which I think is like a, a pretty cool little bit of trivia. Right. You know, it's something I love, like how to make, how to, uh, everything I learned from filmmaking, uh, I learned from the Toxic Avenger uh, by, uh, by Lloyd Kaufman, the co-founder of Troma. The parts of it, I believe, yeah. are ghosted by James Gunn. They have like how they have their recipe for both slime and the quote-unquote toxic meltdown special effect. I love that they included that. That's awesome. Excuse me, that's great. Let's do our sequel scene. You picked a, a doozy of a one, Thrasher. Why don't you set it up? Yeah. So th- this, I mean, this is the climax of the film. This is. Uh, this is after Alex Corvus has has Captain Book strapped into the electric chair, and it's it's basically it's the characters monologuing at each other until Aaron flips the switch. Who wants to do what? I would like to do the captain. Okay, Alex. I'll I'll be Alex because I guess it's my name. That, okay, that, that's my qualifier. You guess? <laughs> okay, I'll be Aaron. So. <clears throat> All right, the jolt. Eight amps at two to three thousand volts. It lasts a few seconds. The current surges is and is turned off. And they check to see if the heart is still beating. And it is. Ba-boom! Another jolt is applied. Experts say unconsciousness occurs before pain is time to register. They agree that electrocution does not hurt. But it does. Unimaginably. Believe me, I don't expect the call from the governor. Any last words, Captain? Yeah, fuck you. What was it? Was that it? I'm not dying for your goddamn illusion. You got that? You think you and your girlfriend had some rosy future taken from you? Bullshit. She was already bored. Why do you think she was looking around? You're nothing, Corvus. Less than nothing. You can't do this to me, you little fucks. You hear me? You understand? I'll be back. Just like you, a big fucking shit-spewing bird. And guess which little bitch I'm taking out first. You are so dead. <laughs> I think our, I think our reading of that was actually more interesting than the movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alex, can you plug in your uh, headset really quick? Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Good, much better. All right, uh, cool. So, yeah, with um, with all that... Let's wrap up the show for uh, sequel cast two. I don't know why I did Aaron Randall as a Valley Girl, but there you go. Hey, yeah. it sounded good to me. Well, we both did like Pacinos. So. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it either sound like Pacinos or like dueling uh, Shecky Spielboigs. <laughs> you never I know. Did a movie called A Crow? I, I took a crow and I put it in a jar. It died after a few hours. Hey, they should have explained to me that I should punch a couple air holes in the cap. Instead, I punched a couple air holes in the crow, did a Broadway round. Uh, and I yeah. tried to fry it up because, you know, like Colonel Sanders says, I like to salt up a boy you didn't eat it. But uh, <laughs> uh, some, no one also explained to me, you got to pluck the feathers out. Uh, this thing's got too many steps. I like chicken nuggets. Um, yeah, <laughs> <You> okay. <should. laughs> Follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. Follow me on Follow- Twitter at Internet Mayor. <laughs> Follow the show at SequelCast2 and uh, leave us a good review on the Apple Podcast app. Every little bit helps. You can also listen to us on Stitcher, Spotify. We're pretty much everywhere. And the theme song is done, of course, by Mark with the C. Oh, yeah.
Alex? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter um, at CrabNebula1914. And if you leave us a good review on iTunes and you, reference, you can reference any movie title and I will do a trailer commentary for it on my YouTube video, on my YouTube channel, uh, The Trailer Project. So shout out a movie, any movie, and then I will do a commentary for it. That's quite generous. I don't, I yeah. haven't checked to see if anyone has done that lately, but I'll, I'll give it a look yeah. later today. Awesome. Um, for Sequel Cast 2, this is Matt. This is Thrasher. <laughs> this is Alex. Saying... Could you turn that baby down? My baby doesn't have a knob. Sorry. Baby knob sounds like a, the name <laughs> of like a 1960s uh, sex sex comedy or something. I just picture no, that would a baby be like, with like a volume knob on its forehead. No, that's like like that's like an early 2000s like attempt to start a flat uh, a a slasher series where the killer is called Baby Knobs because he wears <laughs> some weird weird baby mask. It's just got like the little knobs like you have like on your stove fries or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to crank up the heat.